What's up, Superwide listeners? Welcome to episode 19 of the Superwide podcast. Apologize for putting this up so late, but uh, this is a really special episode. It's going to go over a lot of firsts that Chris experienced while he was incarcerated. Um, So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and feel free to reach out to us and message us on your feelings about this episode. And also if you have any ideas on any future episodes that you'd like for us to touch base on, you could find us at Instagram at SuperWideTC, or if you want to message Chris directly, it's at BigWino, B-I-G-W-Y-N-O, or you could send me a message at LeeGoddess, L-E-E-G-O-D-D-E-S-S. And without further, further ado, here is episode 19. I am going to explain some firsts. So if you have an inmate who's like fresh to the prison life and the lifestyle and the situations that may come up and arise, then this might be helpful. Um, T was telling me that it might be a good one for you guys to hear. So hopefully it is helpful. And it doesn't suck. I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot. When you first go from county to prison, that's a big transition. Most people who have been waiting in county to get to prison are actually ready to go to prison in some cases because they're just tired of being in county because it's a lot harder in county than it is in prison. And you hear a lot of things like you're able to do more in prison, which you are. Um, And then there's those who are scared because they've gotten used to county and it's comfortable and they don't want to move out of that comfort zone, but they're being forced to anyway. So there's a little bit of a fear there. So there's a mix between um, people who are very scared to go to prison and then people who are ready to go to prison because they're tired of being in county. Um, Every inmate is different how they handle it. But I had already been in county for almost two years by the time prison was going to happen for me. And at that moment, I was kind of just done with county and ready to move on um, to other things. Mostly at this point, I was thinking, well, I'll have better hustles, you know, um, more freedom. I could work out differently. I was just like... My mental health wasn't very good in county. And to be honest, I was like, I was so pent up in county that I was fighting a lot. So I ended up in the hole a lot. And um, I was I was personally ready to get out of county and go to the next step. The one thing that really sucked about leaving county is I would get visits in county because people were in that neighborhood right there. They were in town so they could come see me a little bit more frequently and easier in town. And I knew that once I left county, I probably wasn't going to be seeing a whole lot of visits, if any. So. When I first got to prison, it's not the prison that I got to first. It's actually processing. And so you go through into this prison Um, in the state that I was in and 
you get processed. So they take your blood, they take your DNA, they do like a real quick medical check. Um, they do a dental check. They do basically the, the, the basics to kind of see how you are, what your health is looking like or whatever. And then they process you and then you're waiting and kind of holding cells in a way. And then you see a case manager. And once you see a case manager, um, they basically determine where you're going to be going and what your threat level is. If you're in a security threat group, which would be a gang, they call it STG. If they label you STG, then you're going to be going on uh, STG yards or be separated from other STG inmates, depending on the group that you're in. Um, if you're not, then you're going to have a little bit more freedom. How much time do you have? What your crimes are? That will all determine what prisons you get put to. Um, so I went through that whole process and all of that was pretty easy. It wasn't so bad because I was still um, with a lot of people from county at that point. As you get processed, you don't really start getting split up until after this moment. So while I was there, um, I was meeting new inmates, but most of the inmates that I, I was with were still from county. So I was familiar with them. And at this point, they were still kind of sticking together, I guess. Um, some of them had been in prison already, knew what to expect. And me personally, I was just trying to stay cool. You know, I was like not trying to cause no waves. Um, I wasn't trying to be a part of anything like really. But at the same time, I wasn't backing down. And I was like, I was in conversations with people that I knew. So I was staying social, which helps because there's always like, um, if you don't do that, if you're kind of ostracized, if you're like an outcast or you, you get a target on your back for one reason or another, there's many reasons you could have a target on your back. One, people believe or know that you're like snitching on people or people believe or know that you um, may be a pedophile or have a crime like that. Um, people may know or believe that you're weak. And I was in one situation where there was a gentleman in the holding tank and somehow he he let it slip or someone had found out that he had been raped in county, which Normally, that would just be like out here in this world. It's a sad situation to hear that, right? It's sad to hear about someone getting violated in that way. But in prison, it's like if you've been vital, if you've been violated that way, people don't have sympathy for you. They look at you as weak and kind of ostracize you and don't want to be around you. So the person who is able to get taken advantage of in that way isn't necessarily looked at as a um, it's not a good thing. You know, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy from people. Um, if anything, you're going to get a little bit more harsh treatment. And that's what was happening when I was in this process. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of weird things that go on inside prison and, um, the mentality is one of them. So this was like my introduction to this process before getting sent to my facility. So when you finally get to your facility, you're kind of looking forward to slowing everything down. You're going to be able to write letters at this point. You're going to be able to call on the phone a little bit more. Um, it's going to be a little bit more freedom. 
I finally got to the facility I was going to be at and it was very uncomfortable for me. It wasn't a good situation. I already had a bad attitude and in county I was fighting a lot and I took that I took that kind of torpedo type attitude into prison. So that attitude um and that way of thinking and way of working was very disruptive to the pod that I was in. And I I did what I kind of felt at the time that I had to do. And that led me into a lot of bad situations. Um, I don't want to glorify any of the things that I was doing in there because although in, in the prison setting, it may have looked good for me, it really wasn't a good look just altogether. And to be honest, it wasn't even really a good look in the prison setting for the type of inmates that I was around and I wanted to be around later on in my sentence. But at the time I was living that life and I was making some very poor decisions and putting myself and others at risk every day because I was angry and I was hurt and I I was like not feeling any way out. I felt so trapped. And there's many things that like go through your mind when you're in there, especially if you have a sentence like mine. I had a life sentence. I know other people have long sentences or short sentences. If I had a short sentence, it would probably be a little bit easier, but I probably wouldn't have taken it as serious. But the longer sentences, there's things you think about. You think about escape. How 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 the fuck are you going to escape from this place? Because you don't want to be there. You know what I mean? You think about you think about like suicide. You think about how are you going to live like this for your whole life? You know? And, um, though all of those thoughts are like, kind of, they start brewing in my mind initially. And I know that I'm not alone. I talked to a lot of other, I've, I've spoken to thousands of inmates and you know, we've all had these thoughts for the most part. Not everyone gets like suicidal, I guess, but, um, a lot of people do. A lot of people have those thoughts of suicide. A lot of people have those thoughts of escape. A lot of people have those thoughts of like, hopelessness. And once that starts happening, they become different people. You know, you can see them go from like hope to hopeless and the the way that they're everything changes with them. So at this point, I'm not quite hopeless, but I want out and I want to do whatever I can to get out. And I feel like the system failed me and that I'm never going to get out at this point. So my first facility, I was like wiling out and I made a lot of bad choices Eventually, my bad choices got me put in the hole. So my first time in the hole, uh, I was caught with a weapon on me and I was using these the weapon. So street cops come in, they investigate it. They stick you in the hole. You you can potentially get criminal charges and you also get a write-up, which both are pretty bad. A write-up in prison can keep you from getting your good time. It can keep you from getting released for another year or more, depending on the write-up. It can um, it could hinder all of your progress. And at this time, I didn't give a shit about any of that because I was like, give a fuck about nothing at this point. You know what I mean? Um, so I get sent to the hole 
and my first time in the hole, it's a it's a weird experience. So you get stripped out, you get stripped down, you get everything taken away from you. You don't have anything, and all you can order is hygiene, and you can get like maybe a phone call. Um, I think I was allowed a phone call like once a week, maybe once every three days or something like that. Maybe every Wednesday. I can't remember. So I was in the hole and um, I was allowed out one hour a day. And the hole is like in this like basement kind of area. So it's like underground kind of. There is not much sun. The little last window you get is crazy. And at this facility, they actually sent like a mental health worker to see you probably like I think maybe once a week or something like that to make sure that your mind is still not like out of it, you know, because people that are stuck in solitary confinement for a long enough time can actually like lose their mind and can become like much worse off uh, stably, like the stability of stably. Um, their stability is like very off and their mind kind of, they can lose their mind. I've watched it happen to a couple of people. It's a, it's a strange experience, right? For me, it was a weird experience too, but it was a peaceful experience. So at that moment, I actually got to like kind of reevaluate what I was doing with my life and my time. And I wrote a lot of letters. I started writing a book. Um, I started reading a book. Um, I can't remember the exact book it was, but it was from the the therapist there. And she gave me a book. Basically, the the premise of it was you got to like heal yourself, right? Like the kid, the inner kid in you, you got to like, as an orphan, I was like left alone. And I felt like a lot of things were, you know, as a kid weren't good for me. And, uh, the book was like basically about going back to your childhood, to who you are as a kid and just loving that person, like, um, giving them that love that you didn't get or whatever. So it was a pretty intense book. And I read it in solitary confinement, had a really profound effect on me. And um, I read a lot of other books too. Basically, there's like a small library in the hole. And I read every book in the library and I would read it multiple times because I got so quick at reading that I could read like, you know, I would pick, try to pick the biggest book I could find out of there, like, you know, 1300, 1600 page books. And I would be able to read them in a day, you know, because that's all there was to do. There was like, there was nothing else to do. So I might read them once or twice in a day. And, um, and I just kept, you know, just educating, reading and, you know, working out when I could, when I got my hour out, taking my shower, like we'd get a shower like once every three days. And, um, after a while, like I did start losing my mind a little bit. I don't really know if I started losing my mind, to be honest, but I started doing weird things, right? Like, first of all, you clean the hell out of your room. Like, I would clean my room, like, hands and knees, scrubbing every inch of that room. Um, every day, that would be a part of my routine. Then I do my burpees every day, um, three or four times a day. And then I would read whatever books I had. I would write with whatever paper I had. And whatever pen I could get, because the pens, you couldn't have regular pens. You had to have these like security pens, which are like these rubber pens. Um, I would eat whatever they gave you because there's not a lot of food. So you're starving in there. And um, I don't know. I would just think a lot about my past and about the people that I missed. And like I spent a lot of time like just in pain in that place. 
So I just remember a lot of pain, like from my first date to my last day in the solitary confinement was a lot of like just pain. Eventually, I think maybe in my third year, I got my first visit. And I believe that first visit was my sister and Teresita come to visit me. And I was really excited about the visit. I knew it was happening. I never had a visit before. And I was just like, man, what is this going to be like? And I did everything I could. Like, I knew I was going to have the visit. I don't know what time they were going to be there, but I knew that they were coming. And so, like... I got my best, you know, greens on, which is basically the clothes that you wear, are like scrubs. So I, I, but I would crease them up. I ironed them, ironed my shirt, like did my hair, like got a haircut the day before so that I would try to look as nice as I could. And uh, I was creasing everything, right? I would crease my, my pants. I crease my shirt. I shine my boots. And um, I'm just really excited to see my sister and really excited to see T. Because at this point, me and T had already been writing. And, you know, I remember because in the letters I asked, I was like, is it okay if I kiss you? And, um, you know, so we had all that kind of worked out. Like, yeah, I was going to be able to kiss her and hug her. And then my sister was going to be there. So I was like, is that going to be weird? Probably, but I don't care. So, like, my first visit was, like, very exciting for me. I I remember how happy I was. And I, you know, I had a couple of friends and I told them I had a visit and you know, they were happy for me. We're all happy for each other when we get visits in there. Your friends are anyway. Your haters are going to be hating on it like hardcore. But um, man, I was hyped. I was super excited. And then they called my name and I was like, shit. I, I was like the whole day I was waiting for them to call my name for the visit. And when they finally called my name for the visit, I was like, you know, I was like, I wanted to run out of the building, but you got to get buzzed through all these doors. And I was like, man, and I just wanted to get there. And then there's this like, long walk to the visit area from from the place that I was at from the cell house I was at and and I just like I wanted to run but I knew I couldn't run because the you know because the shooters on the like the guys with the guns you know you can't run um and I just wanted to hurry and get there so quick so I was walking as fast as I could I mean I was walking so fast that it was like hurting my legs you know what I mean because I was like man I got I want to get there like right now and uh, I got there and I had to wait. I had to just sit and wait for them to like, you know, take my ID and like sign in and, you know, pat me down and all, all the things they had to do. And I, I finally got there and, you know, I seen my sister in Teresita there. And, um, you know, I gave my sister a big hug and I gave Teresita a big hug and a kiss. And I was just so happy to be there. And, you know, I know in a visit, the cool thing, you know, you get you get snacks and you get like the vending machine food is seriously like gourmet compared to what we get inside of those walls. So I was just like so excited to just be eating like candy bars with them and just like whatever the hell we were eating out of these vending machines and like, you know, hamburgers and all that and, you know, drinking good drinks and holding hands and just touching a woman's hand like I know that it sounds like really weird but like just touching a woman's hand and holding it in an affectionate way for the first time and like f- at this point it had been four or five years even though I was only in prison for like three I spent so much time in county and so I finally got to touch her hand like hands like that and like 
it means a lot because it just does, man. I can't explain it to you. Just imagine never being touched by the opposite sex or by, you know, so, like by someone that you love for a long time and then finally getting to just hold their hand. It's like it becomes like this moment, like more special than anything. And um, and I got that moment and I was just I wanted to be lost in it. And I know that it's we have a tendency to be like, you know, what are you doing in prison? What's prison like? What is this and that? But when you're in prison, you don't want to hear about prison. You don't want to talk about prison. Um, I didn't want to anyway. I wanted to hear about what what's going on outside of prison. Like, what is the life outside of here? Like, what is what's happening in the world? What's changing? What's becoming worse or better? All I have is the news. And we all know how biased that can be. You know what I mean? So I don't know what what's really going on. I want to hear what's going on in your life. I want to know what's happening with you. I want to hold your hand. I want to kiss you. I want to just be with you, you know, and and um, finally getting that moment like brought life back to me. I can't explain how special that that first visit is in every visit, you know. So eventually I became eligible for parole. Um, my first time seeing the parole board was pretty interesting. I, I treated it like an interview because I took classes on how to go to parole. They had these programs where you can learn like what parole is like and how to talk to them and all that. A lot of, you know, surprisingly, a lot of people fuck up when they're in parole because they say some dumb ass shit in parole. So if you got a dude who's coming up on parole and he said he has a tendency to say some dumb ass shit, walk him through that shit. You know what I'm saying? It's an interview. You you are like at the prison I was at and the the not just the prison but the whole state has a matrix. It's run by this matrix of low risk low risk to recidivate to high risk to recidivate and in between that. Then they have um, like these metrics in between all that, there's a whole system of it. And I taught myself the inside and outs of this metrics, which didn't really mean shit in the end because these motherfuckers didn't even go by the metrics, but I was just assuming the best I was, uh, eventually there was like lawsuits and things like that. But, um, I don't know if every prison system is really corrupt, corrupt, but the state that I was in had a lot of just a lot of just shady stuff seemed to be happening in, in you know behind the scenes but i could be a conspiracy theorist too you know what i mean like i could just have seen it from a perspective of an inmate that's cons- like just watching and not understanding why people are n- not going home and why this state has so many inmates when they don't have that big of a population like things just didn't add up to me and so anyways that's besides the point i i got ready for parole same way that I would get ready for a visit. Ironed everything. Try to look my best, even though you're dressed up like a prisoner and an inmate. Um, and I didn't have a face to face with a parole board like you see on TV where there's like four parole um, hearings officers and you have this interview with all of them and they ask you questions. I was in front of a screen with a video camera thing. And I basically was doing a FaceTime interview with one parole hearings officer who asked me a couple of questions, asked me about my crime, 
asked me uh, about some write-ups that I had, asked me what I was doing with my time, what I would do if I got out. And I answered all the questions to the best of my ability. And at the end of the day, that that didn't win. That didn't matter. I didn't get paroled. I knew the same day that I wasn't going to, that I didn't get paroled because my case manager let me know. Normally, you know that, but they don't, where I was at, they did not tell you whether you were paroled or not. The parole hearings officer didn't say anything. Uh, the case manager told you whether you'd be paroled or not. And that my first parole hearing was like, nah, wait, nah, you're going to chill. And, um, I kind of knew that was going to happen anyway because of, because of my sentence. And, um, it was like a kick in the chest, yo. Like I can't explain because all that hope kind of goes out the window all of a sudden, you know, you just start feeling like shit and you start feeling hopeless again. You start feeling like shit. I ain't never going to get out. I saw parole six, seven times before I finally got paroled. And every time I try to go in there with hope and more information. And um, every time they deny me, it was it was not an easy process to go through. And it's hard to tell your family. It was really hard for me to be like, hey, I got parole and, you know, everyone, please support, write letters and help me out, you know to let them because if they know you got a support system there's a lower recidivism risk and it's easier for them to let you out so um man if you can help your dudes help them get out because the more letters they got the better and even if you're you know sure they're not going to get out or whatever the case may be so what do it anyway you know what i mean um it just makes them feel better. It made me feel better every time I had people with like letters of recommendation and shit. Just to know that it felt like people were fighting for me, even if they weren't really. But uh, yeah, my parole hearing, first one, sucked. So when I finally did get paroled, I can't explain to you the feeling. I've met a lot of people that got paroled and after years and I've saw the tears like roll down their face and I've seen the excitement and that joy. I've watched them call their families and tell them the news and heard the screams from their family, like, just excited. I never thought that was going to be my story. But I was always happy for the people that got it. Because I felt like... I truly feel this way. I wouldn't wish prison on my worst enemy. I feel like it would be more of a service to just off a motherfucker than send him to prison. And, um... And I still feel that way, kind of, especially if you're going to give someone a long sentence. You know what I mean? You're going to give them life. You might as well just kill them because it's a painful, slow death in there. It's a death of your mind and your like spirit. and It's just fucked up. 
I get that some people deserve to be there. You know what I mean? But a lot of people just don't. And, uh... When my case manager sat me down and she was like, you got your date. I don't know what I felt. Of course, I was happy. I was excited. And I was excited to tell my family and my friends, all the people that rode with me throughout all this. Surprisingly, I had um, a pretty big support system ride with me through this whole process. I... I'm still like in awe and just appreciative of all of my friends and family that that stayed and rolled with me through this whole thing. And to be honest, I don't consider anyone who stuck it out with me. Um, those aren't friendships to me. Those those people are family. I would do anything for them. And to be honest, it didn't cost much. Just a little bit of attention, just a few letters, just an answered phone call here and there. To me, that was enough to like to this day, I would do anything for those people. And um, and now being out here, I realize, realize how hard it is for people to stay in touch with you while you're while you're locked up, because life is crazy out here. And I guess I always understood that. So anyone who did spend any amount of time with me and help me out while I was in, I, I was like, man, I made a lot of promises to people. At that moment, when I got my date, I realized I made a lot of promises to people. I'm super happy. I'm ready to go and I'm ready to keep these promises. I'm ready to show these people whom I love, like what I really meant. You know what I mean? And um, I was more excited because I was just about to like when I get out, I'm going to be able to serve these people. I'm going to be able to help these people. I'm going to be able to do everything that I promised. And um and I meant it so much. Like I worked so hard to understand what I, for one, what the what the value of a promise was, but for two, how, like how I was going to keep that promise. And um, I was so excited that I could be in service and of service to these people that I love. And at that point, like nothing else mattered. It was like this elation, but it was also like an unreal feeling. Some people cry, and I understand why. But at this point, I just couldn't cry anymore, right? Like, I had no tears. Like, I hadn't cried for years at this point. And, uh, but if I could have, I would have in that moment. You know, because you feel it in your heart. It's like, a, it's a big deal. So my, my first getting out and my only <laughs> of prison is uh, the story is I knew what day I was getting out. So early in that morning, I'm talking like maybe three o'clock in the morning, they wake you up. By this time, you already got all your shit packed. The day before you're packing all your shit, you're giving away stuff. You're like, everyone's wishing you well. And you're like hooking everybody up with all the stuff that you got left, all the prison shit you don't want to take with you. And, um, and you're packing all your bags and they're like taking your bags to processing. And um, I had clothes like Teresita sent me clothes. She brought me clothes so that I could because I told her I don't want to wear these fucking prison clothes at all. When I get the fuck out, I just want street clothes from the jump. And so got my sizes. 
she freaking had clothes for me. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get called because I want to fucking leave. I, I couldn't even sleep all night because I knew I was leaving any moment. And uh, finally, I'm just like sitting, waiting, waiting. They call me. And then we're in the holding cell and we're just fucking waiting in this holding. And I'm with a group of other dudes all getting out same day. And we're all excited and everybody's fucking waiting and we're just waiting. And finally, they're like, here, you can put your clothes on and you're getting processed out and you're like putting your clothes on. And I'm like, fuck. When I finally got to wear my, my like regular clothes, I was like, this shit might be really happening. I did not believe I was getting out still. I was like, dude, I don't believe I'm getting out yet. Like this is, doesn't seem fucking real. I don't I don't believe it yet because I don't want to get my hopes fucking smashed. Right. So I was just like, shit. I'm close, I'm close, but I'm not out the woods yet. So I'm just waiting for any little thing to happen. And so I'm dressed and I'm sitting there and I'm fucking waiting. I'm like, man, can they just open this fucking door? What's the big deal, right? And uh, finally, they fucking open the door. I have like a bag of shit, I guess. I don't even know if I have anything. I might have left just everything there. And I fucking walk out the door. And as soon as I walk, I want to run. I'm still in a fenced area, right? I'm walking through this fenced area. And I'm, and then I get through the fucking gate. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm out of this fucking gate. And and I'm like, I'm looking for T. And I'm, I'm looking and I see her in the fucking parking lot. And I'm like, shit, all I want to do is run. But I can't because I'm afraid, right? Like, I'm scared if I run, I'm like going to get shot or something like something bad is going to happen. So I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to run. I get there. I get to the car. And she gives me a long kiss. And I know she wants to embrace and hug and hold and kiss and all that shit. And I'm like, fuck, I'm trying to hurry up. Kiss. Boom. Let's get the fuck in the car and get the fuck out of here before they change their minds. I'm like, I'm on one of those trips, right? So she, uh, I put my stuff in the car. I'm holding her hand. She's like in disbelief. She's in like, what the fuck? You know, I can't believe this is happening. I feel the same way, but I'm still scared. Like, get me the fuck far away from here right now excited happy i'm finally in the car i'm ready to go and i'm just super hyped and super happy and i'm like oh shit this is like happening right this is really going on and then i'm like touching on her and i'm like i'm touching her leg and no one's telling me to stop and i'm like everything is going like i just i could see her and like everything is like good and i'm still like i'm still not breathing yet and i'm just like fuck this is happening i'm i'm fucking i'm out and, uh, yeah, that, that's like a weird feeling. It's like, it's like you were born. It's like you were born over, but this time you realized it. And, uh, And this time you want to make it better. I really believe that everyone who goes through this experience and they and they get out, especially that first time, they do want to make a better life. They do want to get out and not go back. It's not easy. This hasn't been easy, this whole experience for me. But... He always says that even on our worst days, it's better than those days. 
when they were good, you know? And I think that too. <laughs>